Pray with me, please. Lord, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. A story, a song, a symbol. Now, let's see if I can weave those together into a sermon. A story. Not very long ago, a famous lawyer was being honored by his colleagues at the convention of the American Trial Lawyers Association. As a part of that observance, he was asked to reflect on some of the memorable experiences of his legal career. He did that. Uh, he shared a, a few rather light and a couple of even funny reminiscences from his long years in legal practice. And then suddenly, he became rather wistful, and he proceeded to share an incident which he said happened earlier in his legal career, but it was an incident which he had never forgotten. He told how one day uh, an attractive, well-dressed young woman appeared at his office. She had been referred to him by her pastor because she was experiencing marital strife. She was in her late 20s. She had been married for approximately four years. Well, when she sat down, this lawyer immediately began to review for her the grounds for divorce in their state. And when he finished, the young woman said, I don't want a divorce. And so the attorney then proceeded to describe the laws concerning legal separation. The young woman said, I don't want a separation. Well, quickly then, the attorney went on to suggest submitting legal papers which would force her husband to pay her financial support. The young woman said, but I don't want to force my husband to pay me support. Well, the lawyer was completely exasperated at this point, and so he said rather bluntly, ma'am, if you don't want a divorce or a separation or financial support, what is it that you do want? Immediately, huge tears began to run down her cheeks, and she began to sob. In a moment, through the tears and the sobbing, she said to him, I just want my husband to love me. In her sad lament, that young woman was underscoring something we all want, something we all desire, something we all need. We all, without exception, we all need to be loved. That's the story. A song. Anna and Susan Warner were born in the 1820s, the daughters of a 
prominent New York City attorney. They lived all of their lives in their family home on the Hudson River, immediately adjacent to the United States Military Academy at West Point. After their parents' premature death, Anna and Susan Warner were left with meager income, and out of necessity, they proceeded to give themselves to serious literary writing. They wound up becoming best-selling novelists. Some of the novels they actually wrote together, others they wrote separately. But all together, between the two of them, they published more than 70 books. Now, a quick sidelight about the Warner sisters. Every Sunday morning in their home, the Warner sisters conducted a Sunday school class for the cadets at the military academy at West Point. And every Sunday, those cadets would crowd the Warner home to overflowing. They would heartily sing a few hymns, and then they would engage in a powerful Bible study led always by one of the two sisters. So profound was the impact of the Warner sisters on several generations of West Point cadets that when the two sisters died in the early years of the 20th century, in an unprecedented action, the two sisters were granted burial with full military honors at West Point. And their home was declared a national shrine. In fact, you can still see their home today if you visit West Point. Ah, but back to the song. One of the novels the two sisters collaborated on was a novel entitled Say and Seal. It was published in 1860. The novel was the story of John Linden, a young man who also happened to be a Sunday school teacher. His fiancée, Faith Derrick, who taught Sunday school with him, and a young boy, Johnny Fax, who was in their Sunday school class and who contracted a terminal illness. John Linden and Faith Derrick, in the novel, decided that they would take it upon themselves to make Johnny Fax's last days upon this earth as comfortable as possible. And that's what they did. As death then drew near, at one point, the little boy said to John Linden, would you please pick me up and hold me in your arms? John Linden did that, picked the feverish child up into his arms, and he began to walk around the room. The soft, gentle motion of the walking seemed to somehow calm the fevered child. And then the little boy looked up at John Linden and he said, Would you sing to me, please? Now at that point in writing the novel, 
Instead of inserting a familiar hymn or song into that scene, Anna Warner actually sat down and wrote an original hymn for that purpose, a hymn of four stanzas. And those were the words which she then had John Linden sing to the little boy in his arms as the little boy's eyes closed in death. Well, today, no one knows the novel, but the whole world knows the little hymn which Anna Warner wrote for that novel. In fact, the hymn is sung the whole wide world over. Many say it's the most widely hung, sung hymn of them all. You know what the hymn is? Jesus loves me. You and I know the words of the first verse at least by heart, don't we? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Well, that's the song. The story reminds us that we all need to be loved. The song reminds us that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, a symbol. When we come to the table of Holy Communion, we partake of both the bread and the cup. Those two, taken together, are the symbol of the most incredible love the world has ever known, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Do you know that up at Niagara Falls, they have an excursion boat called the Maid of the Mist? The name of that boat is taken from an ancient legend arising out of the Native American culture in that region. According to the legend, there was a tribe in that area which had a tradition. Each year, one of the young maidens in the tribe was selected by casting lots. And then that young maiden was placed in a canoe, and the canoe was sent over the Niagara Falls, and she became a sacrifice to their gods. Well, one year... The chief's daughter was chosen. The chief so loved his daughter that he climbed into the canoe himself and went over the falls for her. That kind of love points to the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. This Jesus who loves you and loves me so much that he was willing to die on the cross for us. That's what's symbolized in this table. Here, God is up to something so good. Here, we literally receive 
the love of Jesus Christ. Here we internalize that love. And then from here, we go out to share that love with a world which is starving to death for the lack of it. That's what this table really means. It is the symbol of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And that's why communion sometimes is called the love feast. For it's all about receiving the love of Jesus Christ and then passing that love on to others. Well, once the great Karl Barth, probably the most distinguished theologian of the 20th century, a man who wrote massive volumes on the doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith, once Karl Barth was asked by a group of students if he could summarize the whole Christian faith in a single sentence, Karl Barth said, yes, I can. It's all in the words of a hymn my mother taught me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Karl Barth was right. That's what our whole faith comes down to. And that's what this table is all about. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us all. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. At this table, we are reminded of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Let us receive that love, take it into ourselves, so that then we may share it with the world around us. In the name of the one who died, that we might live. Jesus, the Christ. Amen.